StoryBrand alumni Angie Schultz came to us, and she had several businesses, several different businesses that she needed to clarify a message for. Listen to Angie's story about the turnaround after attending a StoryBrand live marketing workshop. I was working for two different organizations. One was a mid-sized nonprofit organization, and the other was a public university. And for both, I was tasked by leading their communication strategy and serving as a copywriter. And um, I was just feeling in over my head just within the first year of implementing after I came home from the live workshop, we saw a 25% increase at that nonprofit. And at the public university, it's typical to see about a 5% increase within a year. That's a really good year. And we saw a 15% increase in one recruitment season. So not only did StoryBrand give me the confidence that I needed to lead, it actually worked for the organizations where I was implementing. If you can't communicate your offer to your customers in a clear way that invites them into a story where they get excited about you, come to one of our workshops. The kind of percentage increase that Angie saw is not uncommon. It is, in fact, common. I've really never seen anything like it. It's rocket fuel for your business. Sign up to come to a live marketing workshop at storybrand.com. That's storybrand.com. Register today and see the same results Angie saw. Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hello, Don. J.J., today our friend Mike Michalowicz is back. I love Mike. Yeah, his book, Profit First, we did an interview on that when yep. we were in San Antonio, and it's one of the best, whatever, downloaded podcasts we've ever done. He's yeah. got a new book called Clockwork, Yep. and it's about how to make your company run itself yeah. <laughs> so that you don't have to be actively yes. involved. Yes. It happens to so many of us. We start a company, and we realize, oh my gosh, I'm a slave to this company. Yeah. I actually work more now than I ever did, yes. and it should not be that way. No. And we feel that way because we've grown so quick about every division in the company. And you know, we've made this mistake where you hire somebody to do an administrative job, uh-huh. and you realize a year in, oh my gosh, we've got to move their boss up, but that person isn't ready or able to move up to the boss's job. Yeah, we've got to create a new position that now is going to have multiple employees under them, right? and this person who's been there the longest actually isn't the person you can move up because they are not going to duplicate what you do. And it's amazing because you'll hire somebody to make a widget, let's say, and they're an amazing widget maker. And then you actually say, okay, they're such an amazing widget maker. We sold so many of them. We need more widget makers. So you be the widget maker's boss that we hire. Yeah. And you realize, oh, that person has widget making abilities, but they don't have managerial (laughs) abilities. It's really, really difficult to do. Yeah. And it's all about, though, scaling up the company. And Mike starts his book by saying, what if you took a month off from work and turned off your phone and didn't talk to anybody for a month? How would the company do? Yeah. I mean, everybody listening, just answer that. How would it do? Yep. And if you're not saying, you know, it would do pretty well, my guess is it would actually stay the same or even grow a little bit, then you're one of the very few people. Yes. <laughs> and, I, you know, I meet these guys and they're so smart. We've got yeah. these friends who started a company called Otterbox, you know, the mm-hmm. thing that goes on, the, on, your, on your phone. phone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they started, it's a billion dollar company now. They start companies all the time, yeah. and they hire people to run them. And I'm just like, how do you manage all that? And they say, well, we, we hire really great people to run our companies. And it just sounds so fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> that what if you could actually start a company and walk away from it, and it just makes you money, and yes. you take that money, and you go start another company. It's a whole other skill set that yeah. a lot of people who are listening have never even thought of. Yeah. Do you think you could walk away from your department? Yeah, I actually know I could. I, <laughs> Sadly, I think I, you could I don't do better think you without could me. Because I need, you, I need you too badly. <laughs> well, I mean, like, well, for instance, what I've worked my way up kind of here too. You know, you hired me in the beginning as a coach. You know, I was coaching right. companies and working through and teaching some of the communication stuff. And then we quickly realized that both you and I could not sustain the teaching on our own. Right. And so we had to bring in people who could do it. And so you're looking for people who have the ability, who've run a business. This is all of our private workshop people. They've run a business. They have a marketing background. They're a communicator. They're a teacher, which is not easy to find that combination. Charismatic. They're able to think deeply. And then they have to do what you and I do. Now we have a big team of them that go in and do this and we don't have to. Here's what's amazing. I remember that journey because one of the things that I needed you to do right away was you know, I'm teaching a 16-hour workshop. I'm talking for 16 hours. By yep. the end of it, I have no voice. Yeah. And so I need somebody to kind of come in and you do, somebody do this section. And I was just convinced, you know, 
as soon as I put somebody else up on that stage, now I do teach the beginning and the yeah, end of yeah. the workshop. It's it's many hours, but as soon as I put somebody, everybody's gonna you know walk out, and I was somewhat relieved and also let down that nobody did <laughs> that there was not a revolt and then we, we want done we that's want right done. no it was like who, yeah this guy's better looking we like this guy better that's kind of how it went i get that a lot i get that a lot <laughs> and it was the same thing with private workshops we basically said if you want somebody to come into your company obviously if i'm going to stay married i can't do all of these yeah and so i wonder if you would pay a little less and have somebody else come and we do 200 of those a year with yeah. eight different facilitators it's fantastic. And so maybe the idea that you have to be in the room is a limiting belief. Yep. And maybe the fact that if we could get around that belief and you could structure things differently, things could work without you. Yeah. And life could actually be that good. And it just yeah. seems like the people who have figured that out and who believe it and understand it and move into it, they're living on a beach somewhere in a hammock. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. And we're going... We'll go up to them and go, hey, this isn't right, man. You're being lazy, and lazy people don't get money. And he's just like, yeah, you keep believing that, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Would you grab that uh, wine spritzer and bring it to yeah, me? Yeah, Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> and so maybe, you know, if we want to move a little bit of that direction, of course, the more we can do that, the more jobs we can create, the more people we can provide for and all that kind of stuff. But it requires you being able to have your business work like clockwork. It needs to run like clockwork. And Mike gets into it in his book. We're going to walk through the whole thing. So you're going to absolutely love this. If you would like more free time, if you would like money coming to you so that you can do things with it, like start other businesses and not have to run this business or be a slave to it, you're going to love this book. Here is my conversation with Mike Michalowicz. Mike, thanks for joining us. Don, it's a pleasure to be back with you. Your interview on your Profit First book that we did in San Antonio was one of the favorite interviews ever in the history of this podcast. And so I've been looking very much forward to this. In fact, you told me you were writing this book, Clockwork. Yes. Then I was very excited about Profit First because it changed the way we do our books here at StoryBrand. But then this book, I couldn't have been more excited. And I've already read it. And here's the reason I was excited is because a buddy of mine, Brian Miles, who runs Belay Solutions years ago, said to me, Don, you need to do more time owning your business and less time running your business. Yeah. And as soon as he said it, I just thought, wow, I didn't even think about that, that you could do yeah. that. Since then, we've made headway. And then just like always, Mike McCollins comes and explains how to do it right on time. <laughs> is that the essence of the book? How to spend more time owning it and less time running it? Yeah, yeah. The essence of it is moving from what's called doing work to designing outcomes. And it's a throttle process. Now, now let me first give homage to the godfather of this. This is Michael Gerber. He wrote a book called E-Myth. And his yep. concept was don't work in the business, work on the business. I had a blessing. You're experiencing this too now. I uh, was speaking. I shared the stage with Michael Gerber. We both did keynotes back to back. This is a few years back. Right when I was writing Clockwork, and I said, Michael, I, lo I love E-Myth. It's the Bible. But I have one challenge is that when I read it, I thought it was a switch. Like one day, if I worked hard enough and put all my blood, sweat, and tears into it, the business would magically take over and I'd reap all the rewards. And I said, I've now discovered it is a throttle. And we started to explore this concept together. Now, notably, he's an eccentric guy. It was some kind of weird convo too. Yeah. <laughs> but it instilled this belief that I need to write a book to teach myself, quite frankly, and, and hopefully other entrepreneurs, how to go through this transition of slowly and very surgically extracting ourselves from the business, moving from doing the work, which is necessary in the beginning, to designing outcomes. And what I mean by that is choreographing the resources around us, our colleagues, our technology. Actually, even our clients can be organized in a way that it moves the company collectively to that mission we have. Yeah. I remember a guy walked into, well, he was one of our StoryBand alumni. He was taking one of the workshops with us. He was an expert in scaling up and selling companies. And I said, hey, I'd love to know, you know, if you ever see anything we need to be doing, let me know. And he said, well, one of the problems is that I'm talking to you right now. And I said, well, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. And he said, Don, you have to understand, if you are in the room, it devalues the company. Yeah. In other words, if an investor is coming and looking to buy the company and you're here, yes. it devalues the company because they can't buy you. They have to buy the company. So, of course, what he was saying is exactly what you say in your book. You've got to design this thing to be able to run without you. Yeah. I've had two what they call exits now. I sold a company to private equity and I sold a company to a Fortune 500. As glorious as that sounds, it wasn't necessarily seamless and it wasn't necessarily glorious, really. When I sold my businesses it came very clear to me after the transaction that I had given the buyers leverage because the business was dependent upon me. 
And what they said is, listen, Mike, if the business is carried on your back, the day you're sick, the day you decide to leave or take a vacation, or if you die, we're dead too. The business goes the way you go. So we're going to pay you less. Also, because I was trying to focus on selling the business, I was distracted from running my business. So as I was focusing on the sale, the business right. started to crumble. Yeah. It was hitting you from both sides. The problem was coming from yeah. both sides. So the ultimate yeah. valuations, I did well, and I'm grateful for it, but I didn't do nearly as well as I could have. If you would have done the clockwork thing back then, you would have made more money when you sold the made company. Made more money. Well, here's the irony. I may not want to solve my business because now mm. the business is running without me. And that's the beautiful thing. If you can get to a business that runs without you, you have the freedom of choice now. Do I have an ATM here? And I can sit on the sidelines and maybe interact with it in the way I want yeah. to reinsert myself. Or the outside guy who buys you, it's turnkey for them. They pay you a premium. And if you don't want to sell it, the only way for them to get it from you is to pay, pay you more. more. Yeah. <laughs> you set up a goal at the beginning of the book. My friend Michael Hyatt, and you do this, and I'd like to do this someday, take a month-long vacation off at a time. And you actually set the goal at the beginning of your book. Yeah. What would it be like for you? And of course, we're talking to business owners or CEOs, managers of business, but anybody can get there if you run your division well and you take the advice, because you can actually run a division of your company like this. What would it be like for you to take a month off, literally not interact with the business, turn your phone right. off? Is that possible? And just that vision, just that sort of climactic scene or goal if you just take that and reverse engineer it, it changes the way you structure your entire company. Unbelievable. Now, I've lived through this. I've taken my own four-week vacation. There's many entrepreneurs now reporting back to me as they read the book and are implementing it. And it is a mind meld. It's a mind shift. When I tell entrepreneurs this, I actually just did a presentation on this literally yesterday. And I'm like, my first request for you is to schedule right now a four-week vacation within the next year and a half. And people swallow hard. They gasp. They think I'm crazy. And I explained to them, to your point, Don, is that if you can remove yourself from the business for four consecutive weeks, most businesses experience every element of the business within four-week cycles, monthly cycles. You know, collections, new clients, delivering a service or product, putting on an event, all these elements happen within cycles. If a business can sustain without the owner during that period of time, that means it can continue on into perpetuity, which means you have a business running itself. Yeah. Here's the funny thing. Is I tell people, you got to do this. And they're like, oh, no, I, I can't take a day off. I don't go on vacations. I go on workcations. And my response is, you're just causing more and more dependency on you. Now, here's the irony. I also spoke in Germany recently on the same topic. I said, you got to take a four-week vacation. And they're like, yeah, that's how we run Germany. <laughs> like, call anyone in Germany in August. They're on vacation. It is a almost effectively a holiday. France does it. Italy does it. And BMW ain't out of business. No. You know, champagne <laughs> keeps on producing their champagne. So clearly, it doesn't put you out of business. I think our European brethren have something to teach us here. Yeah. Well, you've got seven steps to be able to do this. They all make complete sense. And listen, even if you don't want to take a month-long vacation, even if you like it would break your heart to leave your company, this is still an amazing way to structure the company. It forces efficiency. Yeah. It forces it. But one thing that you say is productivity is a trap and organizational efficiency should be the goal. Replace productivity with organizational efficiency. Before we get into the seven keys and seven steps, Explain to me the difference between the two. Yeah, so productivity is where we pack in more work on our individual schedule. So my employees right. pack them with more work than myself. Productivity is a necessity, but it's not a solution. Like, you know, the invention of the wheel over using a block to move a vehicle around was a great productivity tool. Right. But if we focus on that exclusively, what happens when it comes to the work environment, we become impacted. And what I mean is we take on work, we use productivity tools to compress the work we're doing, meaning we get more done in less time, which avails more time. What do you do with additional time? You can take on more work. So we take that on and we pack that down with productivity, availing more time, and we pack in more. So our work schedule becomes so intensely impacted that if one problem happens, one thing goes askew, the entire day, week, or month actually gets thrown off. So productivity doesn't give us flexibility. That's the issue. Yeah. Organizational efficiency is where we choreograph resources toward a common vision. For example, you know, I want my business to do, say, $10 million in revenue, and I want it to look like this. I want the experience to be like that. I have it very clearly documented. I then say to myself every day, what people do I need to put in what positions? What clients do I need to have doing business with me? How do I need to relate to my vendors? What technology do I need to get us a little bit closer to that vision? It's the constant choreographing those resources. And the biggest find I've had, and this is a mind-blowing, I, I couldn't even see this, 
I revealed that $10 million goal at the beginning of this year. I came out proudly the start of 2019 and said, everyone, I got the grand goal for us. We are so close. We're going to do $10 million. My 14 employees sit there and they do the obligatory single-handed clap. <laughs> and I'm like, well, how come you aren't jacked up like I am? I'm so pumped for this. Yeah. And what came out of this, because they're very candid with me, they said, Mike, that means you get the new car or maybe a bigger house. It doesn't serve me. What about me? And the realization is choreographing resources is not my vision alone. It's my vision matched to my colleague's vision. So I met now with everyone individually and said, what's your dream? What's your vision? Amy, she's right down the hallway. She just wants flexibility in her job. It actually happened today. Her husband travels a lot. He came home. She wants to be able to call out of work while at work. And we said, oh my gosh, make that happen. So we've done that. Another person here wants to be an entrepreneur. So every meeting we have that discusses the future of the business, that person, even though they're entry level, and I'm doing air quotes. They're calculating their own future. Yes. They're coming into the meeting and we're teaching them. And this has only been like three, four months of doing this now. By doing this, the energy has elevated. Now people see that the $10 million company doesn't just serve $10 million money. buys their dream job. Yeah. We say that all the time. We've kind of lost it. We need to bring it back here at StoryBrand. This company exists to give you a dream job. It exists. Yeah. That's why it exists. So you got to, what's your dream? How can the company help you with your dream? All those kinds of things. Of course, you can't do that stuff unless you have a good profit margin and all those kinds of things. Right. But now it's clear. It's clear to your colleagues, right? They're like, oh, yeah. okay. They know what they're buying with this work. Yeah, if we do this, I sustain my dream job or enhance my dream job. And that's the idea of choreographing resources. Okay, choreographing resources, creating organizational efficiency. You've got seven steps. The first is analyze your company's time. There's a thing called the 4D mix. And what I realized is every business is experiencing all of these elements at all times. We need to maintain a balance between it and the entrepreneur the owner of the business, the leader, needs to elevate themselves to the highest level of the Ds. So here they are real quickly. The first level is called doing. Doing is the activity of deriving benefit to your clients, you know, whatever that service or product is, and the infrastructural support of that. So marketing, invoicing, accounting, all that stuff is the doing level. The next level up is called deciding. It's necessary, but only for a short period, and it's very dangerous. Deciding is where you, as the leader of the organization, are making decisions for all elements of the organization. I hired a girl, her name was Jackie, my first employee, came on board, I gave her the invoicing responsibility, and she came back a second later and said, do we sort by last name or first name? And I made a decision, that's what the deciding is, for right. her. So you have now jobbed out the doing, but you're still doing the deciding. Exactly. That's probably where, I bet you, the majority of our listeners are right there. Yes, and the majority of this planet's right there. Over, I think it's 97% of businesses will never scale beyond three employees. And the whole reason is, is because the owner, he or she, is controlling all the decisions. It's air traffic control. There's one air traffic control person and they haven't thought to hire another one or job that out to somebody else, they think that's the top of the food chain. That's right. There's a Hindu goddess named Kali that I recently discovered. Female figured head, eight arms. And maybe you don't know the name, but maybe you know that figure. That's what we become. The next level up is called delegating. And sadly, many entrepreneurs, including myself, thought I'm delegating when I'm actually task rabbiting. Task rabbit is go do this, Don, go do that. Delegation is the assignment of outcomes. And it's a significant difference. Instead of saying to Jackie, go do invoicing, I say, it's important we bill you know, timely and accurately. Do you understand why? Yes, it's fair to our clients, fair to us. Okay, here's our best practice. Now get us there. And if our best practice of invoicing isn't working, make a decision on how to navigate through that. Now, here's the biggest aha I had in the book was to truly delegate, you have to push decisions back on your employees. Many of us know this, few of us do it. But the biggest piece that we're all missing is you have to actually support their decisions, which means all the decisions, including the bad ones. Right. And they'll make bad ones. And I would imagine that's a trap because somebody makes a bad decision and then you say, I've got to take that over. I can't trust it. Rather than actually coaching them to make a better decision next time. That's exactly right. We revert back to the deciding phase. Right. So you have to support decisions. But if you support all their decisions, including the bad ones, and allow them to make the mistakes, that's where learning comes in. Because then they're like, oh, maybe there's a better way. And they feel true empowerment. They're not going to be punished not for following the exact protocol that you had envisioned. So that's what the delegation phase is. And if you get to that stage, which we're now experiencing, it flips you to what's called the designing phase. Designing is now where you're really just working on the vision, as we talked about before, and organizing the resources. Delegation, deciding, and doing is allocated to everybody else. One of the funny mantras around my office is, 
always hire people smarter than you. <laughs> you know, and you're actually hiring extremely competent people. And I think that's the other myth is that we all think, well, we're the only person who really gets it or understands it. And if I left this thing, it would fall apart. You know, it was amazing to me that it was probably three years ago when I delegated and somebody came back and I was like, okay, this is going to be a rough meeting. I'm going to have to coach these guys on how to really do this. And then they present the idea and I'm like, oh, that's actually better than what I thought, <laughs> what I thought, <laughs> yeah. what I would have thought of. And it's a really nice kind of thing. I, you know, I think it's an ego check. I know you well enough, Don, now that you are a man with an extraordinary humbleness around you, oh, which I don't see often. But that's the God honest truth. And what, what that does is I think it empowers other people and that I don't feel you're the type of guy who feels threatened if people do stuff that is you would perceive as superior to your own ideas. And that is the definition, in my opinion, of a truly successful leader. I mean, it's no more threatened than a coach when you watch one of your players slam dunk over another guy. You're like, <laughs> it's true. Awesome. Right? We all get to win. Yeah, it's really great. Okay, so doing, then deciding, then delegating, then designing. Right. Those are the phases. So we all need to ask ourselves, where are we yep. in that? I would say I'm a delegating, and I need to go back and read the chapter again, but designing is something that uh, is next phase right. for me. Okay, so that's analyze your company's time. Step two, and I loved this concept. Thank you. Declare your company's queen bee role. Yes. And this was so great for me because it, it affirmed that I really need to be in a chair consistently every week at the same time writing a book. Yep. That's my queen bee role. You nailed it. <laughs> I, you're awesome because I realize that's the same for me. Oh, good. Well, we're going to have to keep each other accountable. Monday morning, 9 a.m., I'll text you and say, are you sitting down and <laughs> writing your book? <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, you got a deal. So here's what the QBR is. I was trying to study all these different businesses for the common thread of efficiency. And I literally visited a major playset manufacturer in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. I visited a pizza shop that could bang out more pizzas than any other shop on the planet and everything in between and found that there was no common thread, at least I could identify and what I found is when you can't find something in business, you can revert back often to nature, and nature has a solution. Already divine force. Actually, I don't know if you noticed, but the founder of Velcro, it wasn't like the guy sat there and figured out, like, oh, I'm going to make Velcro by doing X, Y, Z. He simply said, I need something that you can stick together, peel apart, and stick together without getting sticky. Yeah. And then he noticed, he's walking his dog one day, this is in the 1950s, and there's burrs stuck to his dog, pulls the burr off, notices it's not sticky, but it sticks. He puts it under a microscope, and that's where he found that hook system, the plastic hooks yeah. that the burrs had. Well, they didn't have plastic hooks, but he figured out that hook and fur system. I never knew that's where Velcro came yeah, from. Yeah, burrs. It was already invented. He just stole it from God without paying the, inter that's the exactly. uh, IP. <laughs> well, he are indeed off God, which is you know, rip off and duplicate. So I, I believe the world has the solution for us. It's out there in nature. You just need to look for it. Well, I found when it comes to efficiency, bees happen to be probably the arguably one of the most efficient organizations in the world. And why they're so efficient, you know, we observe it, you know, one bee flies around your window this morning, the next morning, there's a whole beehive there. Here's what they do. They follow a simple rule set. Rule number one is if you're a bee, you must protect the most critical function to serve the community, the hive itself. And what that is, is the production of eggs. So bees live a very short period, some species, four weeks, other species on the long side, maybe six months, but there's a lot of, you know, turnover in beehives. So every bee knows what matters is the production of eggs. If it's not happening, it's my problem. Every employee's problem, every bee's problem. Now the queen bee in a beehive happens to be the singular bee laying eggs, but do not confuse that with being the most important bee. She just serves the most important role. It's the production of eggs that matters. Right. And if the Queen bee is like failing. They will remove her. You know, off, sometimes they eat her. Um, oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, yeah, do not, that's not a business recommendation. Do not, but they'll spawn a new queen bee. So the first rule is protect that. The second rule is then do your primary job function, whatever it may be, collecting nectar, defending the hive or whatever. Yeah. This translates into business. Every business I found has a QBR, a singular activity that its survivability and therefore thrivability depends on. And the best way to explain this is as an example. I like to use FedEx because it's an international brand. If you look at FedEx, we have to look at first what's their biggest promises. And, and for everyone listening in right now, what is the one biggest promise you make? Like story brand, it's very clear. You're able to help people with their marketing, their presentation through storytelling. You teach people how to tell stories. And you're remarkable at that. Me, for myself, my biggest promise as an author is to make entrepreneurship simple. Not easy, but simple, right? Yeah. And actually, we were talking about how you're making business simple, right? right? Very similar parallels. So I make these simple tools. That's my promise. 
And then what we have to look at is what is the singular activity behind that promise that makes that promise reality? So FedEx promises to deliver packages on time. That's the big promise. Their activity is logistics. And so FedEx could say, you know what? Let's skip doing customer service and just make sure our logistics are humming along. FedEx will continue to stay in business. They may get a bad online reputation for being nasty or not answering phones, but they'll continue to move along because that's their survivability factor. If FedEx says, you know what? Let's skip logistics and just be super friendly on the phone. Now FedEx has put themselves in jeopardy and will probably go out of business overnight because they're not delivering packages on time. And that's true, Don, for you and for me. If you say, you know what, I'm going to skip writing books. I'm just, I'm done with this. Yeah. I'm going to have a ghostwriter. I'm going to speak into a microphone for a half hour and a ghost figured out. You and I, if we do that, we're screwed. Yeah. Because our promise is very clear and the activity behind it must be served. The last component, though, is the other things can be compromised. If you decide not to do some interviews, I know you're popular on the interview space and doing speaking. If you decide to slow that down but continue to deliver amazing books, yeah, it may slow down some of your exposure. But in the long run, no, the books are more important. Exactly. And a lot of people don't really know what their queen bee role is. Most people don't. Yeah, they don't. And what I did, you know, after understanding what the QBR was for me personally, I designed the perfect week. And Michael Hyatt actually helped me do this. But all day Monday, you can't book an interview. I can't meet with anybody. All day Monday's a writing day. Tuesday morning until 1, and Wednesday morning until 1, and then every other meeting has to happen apart from those times. Monday morning, I'm the sharpest because I had a weekend off. Tuesday morning, I'm the second sharpest. Wednesday morning, I'm the third sharpest, and then we put everything else after that. It's not that I'm not sharp, but we put all the podcast interviews, all the recording, all the meetings with staff, and then really what I discovered was I've only got two hours a week to meet with outside people. Wow. That's it. And of course, we're moving toward much better than that as I do more delegating and get move into designing. And then we also figured out that 75 business trips last year were not actually moving the company forward enough. So we built a video studio so that I can go on YouTube and talk to 5,000 people rather than flying across the world to speak to 5,000 people. And just decisions like that have been really groundbreaking for us. And I didn't make them because I wanted a better life. I made them because these are strategically the ways to make the company bigger. And they just happen to give me a better life. You have to. It's true to you. So we were talking about getting together, uh, doing a little gathering of people. And you've been at me. You're like, hey, let, we got to do it in Nashville. got to do it in Nashville. And the wonderful thing is it doesn't compromise other people. For me, I'm like, that's perfect because my best writing is on airplanes. That's oh, a two-hour writing gig for me. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. Plus, maybe I can sucker you into buying dinner. So. Well, I think the first time we meet will be in Nashville. And my guess is that we'll, we'll go somewhere else after Probably. that. Yeah, Probably. which won't bother me at all. Okay, so defining your queen bee role. Can I ask you one question here, though? Does everybody in your staff have a queen bee role? You know what I mean? Like, is there something that I need to say to Steven? Look, the most important use of your time yeah. is video editing. We want to make sure we guard that. The most important use of Richard's time might be this. Absolutely. So everyone has their own QBR. I call that the primary job just to give them distinct terms. There is a corporate QBR. An example would be you go to a doctor's office. You'll never see the doctor who's acting as the queen bee checking you in or pulling your files. They're doing the examinations. And every employee needs to know if the doctor's not doing examinations, the entire organization is being compromised. So there's a corporate QBR, the most important thing for the entire community. And then there's individual QBRs, which I call primary job. Gotcha. Okay. So it's not just your QBR, it's everybody's QBR. That can take you probably a few weeks to figure out. Oh, yeah. We have an execution team here. My COO meets with every employee. That's going to change a little bit as the company grows. They'll meet with team leaders, but they literally sit down and go through what are the three primary objectives that you have this week. And that has revolutionized everything. We had a record-breaking month, followed by a record-breaking month, followed by a record-breaking month, which made a record-breaking quarter here at the beginning of the year. I literally attribute it all to really focusing on priorities for every person and keeping people accountable to accomplish those. Essentially, QBR. I totally believe it. Yeah, the natural tendency is chaos, right? That's what we move toward, and that's true in business, too. The more we try to grow, the more things we try to do, and that's the exact opposite of what supports scalability. Yeah. I was with a buddy the other day, and he started a health company, sold it, started an airline, sold it. An airline? He started an airline and sold it. Can you believe it? It was actually no. really brilliant. It was sort of a... It was a subscription model airline. Oh, that's You smart. pay 1500 bucks a month, and you can fly from Houston to Dallas to Houston to Austin as many times as you want that month. Oh, that's Just amazing. jump on a plane. And there's, yeah, it's really brilliant. Anyway, so, but he said to me, Don, if you'll notice, really rich people, the richer you get, the less you work. 
And that's exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about if you design the company to move without you, you work less. Yeah. Now, the richer you get means you can just go start another company so you can keep doing the work, or you can stop, doesn't matter, whatever your passions are. Or you can do something that's in the nonprofit sector where you're just slowly losing all your money. <laughs> it's totally, great, yeah. but you have the freedom to do it. <laughs> that's true. No, I, you know, I do think, though, we need to align our life's calling to our yeah. business. I think that's the best business. I very clearly know my calling. I've aligned my company to do that. I, I am here personally to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. That gap between what entrepreneurship should be and the hardships we actually experience. No mm. money, no time, no family, no nothing. I'm trying to close that. Once you understand your calling and you align your company's mission to serve that calling, I think you become unstoppable. I never want to leave my business. Like I don't want to make this a cash ATM so I can go elsewhere. I want to make it a cash ATM so I can make even more impact. Right. You know? I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Mike Michalowicz in just a moment. The one thing that your business needs more than anything else, the one thing you need is a sales funnel. That is a way for customers to find out about you, be enlightened about how you can help them, and then commit to you and make a purchase all while you're sleeping. A sales funnel does that. Imagine your sales reps or people calling you and placing an order because they've gone through a series of steps that were automated and really endeared them to your brand. That's what a sales funnel does. If you don't have a sales funnel, you are losing money. Sales funnels are not the easiest thing to create, but we have certified about 400 guides. We call them story brand certified guides. These are marketing agents. They've already spent years doing marketing and then we bring them to Nashville and train them for four days and then give them 90 days worth of curriculum to become what we hope are the best marketing people in the country to get you the biggest return on your investment. If you invest in marketing, it should and I think is responsible to make you more money than you invested. Otherwise, that is a bad investment. The number one thing we teach our Story Brand Certified Guides is make your customer money. If they spend $10,000 or $15,000 on a sales funnel, they should be making $150,000 or more back, hopefully a lot more. And that's exactly what we're hearing from you. Those of you who have hired our certified guides, you are getting a return on your investment. If you want a sales funnel and want to hire one of our StoryBrand certified guides to create one, go to clarifyyourmessage.com. You can shop our guides, find one that you feel like is right for you. Maybe they're right there in your neighborhood. Maybe they've worked with companies that are similar to you. Whatever it is, you're going to find somebody who's going to do great work for you. Go to clarifyyourmessage.com, hire a guide to create a sales funnel for you, and start getting a huge return on your marketing investment. Go to clarifyyourmessage.com. All right, number three, protect and serve the QBR. Is there anything else to add to what we've already said about that? Like just making yeah, the sure The real quick thing is it's educational. You have to empower your team. I've empowered my team that if I am not writing books, we all have an issue. They got to call me out on it and they got to block and tackle for me. It's like that doctor. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, if you that's see so the doctor good. pulling files or doing insurance claims, we got a problem in the doctor's office. The employees got to do that so the doctor can do examinations. You know, I learned that lesson really early. I had a buddy who was a teacher and there were some problems in the school district. He said, here's one of the main problems. And he pointed to the principal who was filling the Coke machine. Oh, <laughs> there you go, right? And he said, he said, no, here's why he's doing it. He wants to be humble and he wants to show that he's a servant and he wants to so that no job is beneath him. But he said the, that affects the entire organizational structure, right? And I can see it both ways, but you're right. That is not optimal use of his time. That's not the highest leverage of his time in order to accomplish the best for every student in this school. Agreed. It's a great, wonderful act of humility, but the bottom line is it doesn't further the student's need to get an education and get into the world. He needs to be doing other things. Okay, so that's a debatable thing. People can call me if they want. Step four, capture systems. SOPs are the antiquated, I now conclude the antiquated approach to business efficiency because the traditional SOP, standard operating procedure, was you would have a, a procedure you want to offload, you document it, you spend you know tons of hours in sweat preparing this, you give it to this other person, now they have a booklet that they need to review to do the process, short attention spans, so probably don't read it, and the worst part is technology changes. What I mean by this is I wrote an SOP for shipping books. As an author, you ship yeah. some books every yeah. so often. So I wrote it up, how we package it, how the UPS site works. I gave it to my first employee, Jackie, and said, Jackie, please follow this instruction set. It took me 12 weeks to prepare it, but I never have to do it again. 
Jackie came back to me like 10 seconds later and she goes, uh, hey, Mike, I did the first step and I uh, logged into UPS. The entire website's changed. This SOP is no longer good. <laughs> and I was like, holy cannoli, like this is my greatest nightmare. There's a better approach. It's called captures. Here's the realization. You don't need to create systems because every system already is created in our head. We're already doing it. It's really the extraction of systems, not the creation. Hmm. To extract, there's three ways. One way is we do stuff on computer all the time. Just use screen capture software and talk about what you're doing as you do the process and give the video to someone else. Right. Second is a verbal command. We're talking. Record it on your smartphone. And then the third technique is by moving something. I'm packaging or doing something. I can also record that on my smartphone. Record the systems. Give them to the colleague that you want to run it. That's now their best practice. Remember, you've delegated. Tell them to improve upon it. And here, Don, this is the ultimate necessity. Once you assign a video, a capture to someone, require that then they create the subsequent training pretty shortly after it. Because ultimately, the smartest student in every room is the teacher. Yeah. If they can teach it, they've mastered it. There's two lessons there. One slid by. You said, make sure they teach it. You Really, you're giving them ownership. That's right. And then the second, you said, improve on it. Yes. You know, if I have an event person, I would say, hey, I want to do this in an event. Here's how we've done it in the past. Let's do it again. Im find ways to improve on it. Yeah. And maybe give them some parameters or answer some questions about what improvement means. But that gives them ownership. At the beginning of the year, we had an all-staff meeting, and I went through how to move up in this company. The company's clearly growing. Everybody at the company has an opportunity to move up. Basically, there's a very good chance you're going to be somebody's boss really quick if you stick around here, right? Yeah. And here's the thing. I said, move away from the decimal points and toward the commas. And this is what I meant. We're a $10 million company, one zero comma zero 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 comma zero 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 dot zero zero, right? If you come to me and say, Don, great news. I found an awesome deal on staples. We get bulk <laughs> staples because we use a lot of staples. We're going to save $8 a year over the next 10 years. That is $80. So I say, okay, if you solve that problem, then I'm going to pay you at the end of distribution a percentage of eighty dollars. Right, right, right. <laughs> over so the next three cents or something. Yeah, that's right. But if you come to me and say, okay, we can use this sales software. It's eight hundred dollars a year. So there's a little bit of an expense, but it's going to do this, this, and this. It's going to close deals. People are going to get their proposals. We're not going to have to call it, you know. And I see us making eight million dollars over the next ten years. I'm going to pay you a percentage of $8 million. In my head, I'm going to figure that out because that's what you're actually worth, right? And the point is, stay away from the decimal point and move toward the comma. If you want to move up in this company, certainly do decimal point well, but start climbing the commas. Get to bigger problems. And if a boss sees you doing that, they're going to move you up because you're actually solving bigger and bigger and bigger problems, right? Do you do a profit share? We haven't done a profit share. We do it, but we do it in bonuses and things like that. Oh, okay, okay. That's because I was wondering how they benefit directly. That's awesome. Yeah, we do a bonus. If we hit this amount, everybody gets ten percent of their salary. Yep. Wow. And one of the reasons we haven't done a profit share yet, we have no idea how big this thing's going to get. Right? You set precedents early on, and you have to stick with them. And now you got people that you resent having on staff. One precedent I set: a very small company. I called a person a CFO. They weren't even a bookkeeper level. I called them a CFO because I wanted that big title in their card. This person was making thirty thousand. They went on to this, like Indeed or one of those monster, one of those sites and said, Oh, CFOs get paid about 150000 <laughs> I'm grossly underpaid. And I'm like, That's just a title so that we can, you know, present ourselves as big. Right. But they bought into it. So, yeah, it's, you know, those are early mistakes, aren't they? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's funny. Those are business owners' stories. There's another one of like, Well, you know, at Facebook, they get this much time off or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, Facebook hires the smartest people in the world. What they get in exchange for that are people who are smarter than you. Yeah. But never like that's another story. Yeah. But yeah, I love this idea of capturing systems, but really giving ownership. You know, another thing that I learned that really has to do with this is we edit on the fly. I want speed, right? And so, you know, my marketing people will put something out. They won't check with me on it because I don't want to bottleneck the operation. And they're also very, very smart. And it goes out, and I say, you know what? That's a double, but it could have been a home run if you'd have done this. Mm. Where if earlier I would have said, don't let anything go that you haven't put through me, it takes away ownership from them. What I want them to know is I'm perfectly willing for you to make mistakes if you have to choose between speed and bottlenecking and getting it perfect. In other words, don't let perfect be the enemy of great. Yeah, yeah. And let's keep moving, right? And it, But the great thing is it teaches everybody to own their own part of the company and actually to think and to create systems rather than be told what to do. But if you look at the bottom of the – if the entry-level jobs are almost all jobs around the decimal point, they're selling a $4 right. cheeseburger. 
And you go into those jobs, anybody can do them. They're, they don't require creativity. They don't require thinking. And that's not where you want to be. You want employees who can think for themselves, create their own systems, and move on. So I love that idea of capturing systems. Step five, balance the team. Yeah, so this is where we don't match people's talents to their titles, which is the traditional setup. You know, in the pyramid structure of a business, you have the president up top, the owner, you know, I plugged myself in up there, and then below me I have certain titles. One may be the receptionist. And uh, this is a true story from our office. We said we need receptionists. The receptionist has to be great for handling walk-ins, which we have like one a month. Has to be great on the phone. Has to also do light data entry was the exact words and stuff like that. Well, we found someone who was great at greeting, but was horrible data entry. We said, sorry, can't be the receptionist. And that's the mistake we make is that we have all these qualifications and looking for this person to kind of jigsaw their way in. What I found is by building a pyramid structure, meeting talents to titles, we're kind of building a pyramid scheme. I mean, it's not that bad, but we're building a structure where we're putting people in roles where they're not necessarily always capable. The better structure is a web-like structure where we match people's talents to the tasks. So that same person, which ultimately we did hire, is great greeter, is also a great first-level salesperson. So they can warm up the sales lead. Our traditional salesperson was the closing type, a little bit gruff, admittedly, but would close the deal down. Not someone that's so warm and fuzzy, but was also great at data entry. So what we did is we shifted these people around and we started to form a web structure. What happened is we were able to reduce the size of our organization. You know, we have only 14 employees here and seven or eight of them are part-timers, but we are performing at the level of our competitors that have about double the staff. And the reason is, is we've matched people's talents to their tasks. Just to summarize this, there was a study done about making columns, and what they put in this supercomputer was, how do you make the strongest column with the least material? And the supercomputer spit back this web-like structure. It's not balanced and symmetrical like you'd expect. It's this almost incomprehensible web, but it let use the least material, it results in the strongest structure. The same thing with a business. If we match talent to tasks, we'll start getting a web structure, titles start going away, you simply exploit talents, but you go lean and mean as a result. Does that mean your sales guys doing data entry while they're also selling? That's right. That's exactly right. Wow. That is very, very different. And that doesn't confuse anybody about what's their job or what's their... Well, so first of all, there's some people that associate with title. That's very confusing. I'm your salesperson and I'm gotcha. doing... I've been demoted. So you have to hire people that... So he said, no, you're morphing effectively. And we all kind of morph. The nice thing is we have this redundancy. So as projects come through, sometimes there's this big bubble that goes through the organization that needs a lot of attention for a short period of time, whatever it may be. Scheduling for myself. Like, I still do the 75 trips a year, so we have to talk <laughs> when we meet up about that. <laughs> the scheduling gets so nasty and so crazy with flights and doing all this stuff that I actually have sometimes three people working on my schedule. Usually it's one, but there's sometimes for a few days it needs the attention of a lot of people hitting phones and doing this stuff. We've cross-trained people, so the salesperson is doing 80% sales, 10% data entry, and she can also jump over and do scheduling. But she realizes that by doing that, she's elevating the strength of the corporation. Lighter, leaner, meaner, and we can, as a company, make far more money with fewer people. And to your point, we actually do profit sharing, quarterly profit sharing. Everyone's revenue or income goes up. Well, not only that, people don't get bored with their one job. I mean, if you're a salesperson, you may get tired of making calls. You might say, Man, it might be fun to jump on customer service every once in a while and get a break from just having this phone on my ear. My uh, business partner here, he says, uh, grooves become ruts. You're right. That's exactly what can happen. That's really true. Okay, step six, know who you are serving. Yeah, so this is the kind of strange thing. This is about picking the client. Traditionally, we've been told, and this is what I thought, was the first thing to do is figure out that avatar, who's the perfect customer, and build a business around it. But what I found is that negates your strength. If you pick the customer first, you have to curtail your offering or modify who you are to satisfy them. If you first know thyself and master yourself, then you can attract the partner. It sounds like now I'm talking about marriage advice, but you can marry the perfect client. The steps we went through prior to this is all about your inherent strengths. Now, you have an existing customer base. I'm not saying don't have a customer yet, but serve your customers, strengthen your business, and then when your business is humming along, you'll find the customers it resonates with. Those are the ones you want to target. Well, that sounds awesome. All right, finally, keep an eye on your business. Now, I imagine this is you're completely in design mode or you've even moved. Do you ever hire somebody to do the designing? 
And then you're totally out and you're just checking in once a year? Or you're- I guess you can. I have seen businesses do it. But even companies like I studied remotely Amazon. I didn't interview Jeff Bezos. But my conclusion was Jeff Bezos is very heavily in the design. He also has a managerial team, leaders, the C-suite. They are definitely doing design work. He's still taking that lead position. So at any corporation, I studied of all different sizes, at the very top, there's a singular person. And that's the ultimate designer. But there is other people involved. Yeah. And that person is very visionary. Yeah. They're thinking at a 100,000-foot level. Yeah. I've often wondered how Elon Musk does it with three companies, how Bezos does it with – who knows how many companies that guy's got. Who knows? I There was a time I say, like, oh, I want to be the next – Jeff Bezos or Sari Blakely or whatever. And then I realized, no, you know, the right size business can find me. I don't know if I'm in the sweet spot yet. I still aspire to grow this organization, but there's a point. The most employees I ever had was 33 or 34 employees. And that my head started spinning then. I, I didn't like that. Did you know everything you know now though? Had you moved into design mode with 33 employees? No, no, I hadn't. Okay. No, that but was, now you could probably do it, right? It would be different now. You know, it's a great point. My perspective would change. Back then I was trying to carry the business on my back. I tried to know everything and have ultimate control. Yeah. Now I'm much more fluid. But I do know at a certain point the right size business will find me. I don't aspire to have a billion dollar public corporation like I once did. That that was my ego calling out to it. Now I just want to be happy. Yeah. I want to be of service. I want to serve my calling. And whatever structure supports that, I'm cool with it. I love it. All right, there's one more thing I want to cover. First of all, let's go through step one, analyze your company's time. Step two, declare your company's queen bee role. Step three, protect and serve that role. Step four, capture system. Step five, balance the team. Step six, know who you are serving. And finally, seven, keep an eye on your business. What I love about you is you make very complicated things super, super simple and easy to implement, including bookkeeping and profit first, which changed our lives. This is going to change everything else. You've got one little caveat here, pushback and what to do about it. Are you talking about internal pushback? Internal and external, yeah. It's interesting. In every book I write, I have a section I dedicate to the pushback because it's inevitable. The biggest pushback is internal, but not internal to the organization, internal to ourselves. And I experienced it. So you ultimately want to take a four-week vacation, how I started. That's actually part of the final phase. And you observe the company from the outside. We got to be real careful. I have to be real careful of my ego. The first test of my four-week vacation, and there's a I have a script in there over 18 months how to build toward that. I went away for two weeks. I went to Australia, like a sabbatical and some other superfluous work, but disconnected from my office totally. And by going across the world, the hours are off and nothing. Well, one day I'm sitting in Perth, Australia in this restaurant called Miss Maud. It's a, if you're from Perth, you know what this is. I'm sitting at Miss Maud surrounded by a smorgasbord and everyone else there besides me was somewhere between 80 and dead. Like it was, <laughs> it was an old, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, I haven't heard from the office for a while. And I checked email and nothing had come in. And all of a sudden it hit me. I said, the business doesn't need me. And this sucks. This sucks. Like what's my worth? And I actually started to get angry and upset that I wasn't needed, even though this is what I aspired to do. So I threw monkey wrenches in. I didn't know I was. It was very subconscious. But I started sending questions and, oh, we have an issue. And I started making stuff up. And when I came back to the business, I did a debrief with my team and said, how was it without me? They says, Mike, it was great until the day you started emailing us and you messed up everything. We were flustered and confused. We were really proud of what we were doing. And then you reinserted yourself. It actually hurt us. And I was like, oh my gosh. What I did Don in the past is I considered myself a superhero to my business. I could swoop in and fix things. Yeah. And I put pride in it. Now I'm a super visionary or super empowering. That's the new terms I'm using. I put something at a higher level because I found I can't squelch my ego. I can't say, oh, no more ego. It's gone. I will always revert to my ego. So I said, well, instead of saying I'm stepping out and then sometimes returning as a superhero, which means I'm stepping up and putting ego to that, I said, I'm going to put something higher, which is a super visionary. I'm going to choreograph the resources. I'm going to love my team. I'm going to empower people. I'm going to be a people empowerer. And now when I revert to the superhero role and try to swoop in and fix things, which I still do, I at least realize when it becomes conscious that I'm stepping down. And so it actually hurts my ego. And I pop back up to this choreographer of resources. That's incredible. That's really great. How many times have you taken a month vacation? How many times have you actualized this? I've only one. So I wrote the book. As I'm writing the book, I guinea pig myself. My next one's coming up pretty shortly. Now I'm, I'm taking you know every Friday off and I'm doing other elements that yeah. are giving me freedom. I just implemented every other Friday off. Oh, I love it. And so I'm slowly starting to do it. But the reality is the only reason I did that is weekends are getting so slammed that 
Friday, Betsy works, and I can go do some fishing and some thinking about. And then all of it's heading toward that Monday morning, right? When you're sitting down in the chair Monday morning, you've got to be fresh. You've got to have new ideas. You've got to recharge the yeah, batteries. Yeah, it's really incredible. I'm a productivity junkie, and now I'm going to become an organizational efficiency junkie. That's what I want because to hear. Because of your book. <laughs> Michael, congratulations on another wonderful book. The book is called Clockwork. It's Mike Michalowicz. You can get it on Amazon or wherever you buy books. It's one of our favorite guests. He's become a good friend, and I'm so grateful for your influence in my life. You've done nothing but help. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Don, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks, brother. All right, JJ, based on that, yeah. what is something that you could delegate that you're not currently delegating that would Ooh. free you up to move up even higher in the company? Um, wow. I would say content creation. Yeah. So we're always kind of creating new videos and new emails and different kind of contents and even content for our guides to help them help their customers. And we have a very kind of specific story brand voice, mm -hmm. right? Like we have right. a way that we approach things right. by being the guide and by serving our customers really well. And there's a lot of times where I try to hold on to that and protect the story yep. brand voice because I'm like, this is who we are. We serve our clients well. We are their guide and we're always that. And sometimes I think I go... Maybe I'm the only one who can really do that the best. <laughs> that hurts me to say that out loud. But I think that that would be like allowing just helping other people not only because we have better content creators than me. I mean, we have better right. writers than me and people right. who have these amazing ideas. And to be able to step away a little bit and go, I need you to know the heart behind what we do and why we do it. But you have so much talent and ability to create. Now go. I'd say the exact same thing as the content stuff. Yeah. I will always write my own books. Yeah. But we needed a sales funnel recently. Yeah. And it was a fictional sales funnel. It was something we were going to use as an example sales funnel so other people could look at it and read it. You'll yeah. get it if you come to the live workshop, by the way. It's for Synergy eBikes, a company that we yeah. made up. And I thought, okay, this is going to take me a full week. I'm the only one who can do it. And then yeah. I'm, I'm literally like, wait, you've certified 400 people <laughs> to make these. Yeah. Are you telling me you don't believe in them? That you don't believe that one person <laughs> can create something that good. So I went to Kula. I said, find somebody. Let's pay them. Yeah. By the way, how, how great would that be? You pay money to become a certified guy. Then I hire you and give you your money yeah, back yeah. to make your sales funnel, which is exactly what happened to this person. Yeah. And she made a sales funnel, and it was phenomenal. I know. Just phenomenal. I was and, laughing. And, I was crying. Yeah. I'm not even kidding. Like Kula I was said, so, I okay, here it. it is. Edit it. I didn't change a word. Yeah. Again, I was relieved and humiliated at the same yeah, time, yeah. <laughs> right? Because I'm relieved because we got there. Yeah. And then you're like, and it's this humbling thing to say that God is literally saying, see, you're not the most talented. There are other yeah. people who have yeah. talent. And you can job out a ton of this stuff. Yeah. Anyway, the book is called Clockwork, and his name is Mike McCallis. But just look up Clockwork on Amazon yeah. or Barnes & Noble, and you'll find the book. It's fantastic. Mike, thanks for your constant, not just your support and the way that you kind of make things very simple and easy for us to do, but also the inspiration. Yeah. You know, life was not meant for us to be a slave to our work. Work was supposed to be enjoyable, and it was something that would feed our families and all this kind of stuff, and there's just nobody who's modeling that better than you. So, Mike, thanks so much. Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest record, Dive Deep Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building of Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business.